Welcome to Friendo Podcast, hosted by me, Amanda Muse. As a YouTuber, I've shared my life online for the last eight years, and now I'm excited to learn about you. Friendo celebrates people and their stories, from interesting jobs to unique passions and curious life skills that the world should hear about. Community is everything. Let's do this. Hello, friendos. Kindly note this week's episode requires a trigger warning as we will be discussing pregnancy loss. If this topic is too much for you, I would recommend skipping this week's episode and go back and listen to one of the existing ones. For something lighter, try season four, episode 21, where my sister and I discuss a big age gap, our bodies, and love. October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, a time to recognize the unique grief of bereaved parents and to support those people and families who have suffered a tragic loss. They say nearly half of all pregnancies result in miscarriage. It's safe to say that either you or someone you know has experienced this loss. My guest today has been brave enough to share her story of preterm labor and loss of her daughter in 2019. Aislinn also shares her first-hand experience with grief. There is no timetable for grief. For some, it's short-term, and for others, it comes in waves. How can we support a loved one as they endure a painful loss? Later in the episode, I share my own story, something I've never spoken about publicly, I haven't been ready, until now. Then I'll share this week's favorites, a trick for soothing sore throats, a game perfect for the strategist in your life, and a hack to boost productivity that is actually life-changing. I'm Amanda Muse, and this is Friendo. Welcome to the podcast, Aislinn. Nice to be here. I'm super excited. (laughs) It's a bit of a tricky topic that we are about to cover today. And, you know, I feel like maybe even in the intro, I will have prepared my listeners for a bit of a trigger warning, right? I feel like it's, you know, we kind of have to with this. Mm -hmm. And even as we were emailing, I'm like, I don't know if I can ask that question. So, um, Aislinn did say she's an open book, and I'm so appreciative of you being here today to share this, especially in light. I mean, you brought it to my attention that October is uh, it's loss. What is it called? F- formerly Infant and Pregnancy Loss Awareness Month. And so, yes. you know, by sharing these stories, and I think this is what is so beautiful about storytelling, is we are, it's not only helpful for us to kind of release the story out there and and validate our experiences, but also share with so many others who maybe don't have the confidence or ability to share like this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So let's get into what we're sharing today. Can you tell me a little bit about your story? It's kind of a long story. It's over like the last nine or 10 years. (laughs) The short story is I went through infertility. I was diagnosed with PCOS um, in 2012, a month after I got married. And Over the last, uh, I guess, almost 10 years now, we've gone through infertility treatment, um, and I do have a son who's seven now, so we were successful, Um, but I also experienced a loss. Um, I lost my daughter in 2019 at 21 weeks uh, due to preterm labor, so yeah, I'm kind of, I'd like to tell my story about that just so others don't feel alone. 
It's a very common thing. Infertility affects one in four people. Loss in some way affects one in eight people. So I can almost guarantee that everybody listening today knows someone who has either experienced infertility or loss or both. And you just may not know about it because it's a hard topic to to talk about. There's taboo around it. um, There's grief around it. And not everyone has a safe space. So It's not a fun topic to talk about, but it is something that I like to talk about so that hopefully others don't feel alone. Exactly. Everything (laughs) you've just said, I'm sitting here nodding. It's so true. And, you know, just before we were recording, you said something which is so, so true. It's just sitting in my brain, but how, you know, I I was saying this is, there's so much stigma around this topic Mm. and grief is a big one. Like grief is so complicated and complicated to experience and then complicated to support another person through it. Um, But then you also said like, we make babies through doing some fun, some fun things called sexy times, you know, and (laughs) sex is a hard topic, right? For people to talk about. It's like, that's awkward, you know, but yeah. It's fun. You know, like that's how we got to do the fun thing to make this fun little baby. You know, right. 21 weeks. That is, that must have been a very difficult time for you. I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. Um, you know, tell me about that part of it. Like, you know, I imagine you're going through this. It Like, did you know throughout your pregnancy that you were at risk of anything? Was this a surprise? It was a complete surprise. So if you don't mind, I'll tell a little bit about my backstory because it kind of plays into this. So like I said, diagnosed with PCOS in 2012. Um, and at, like I said, we were only married a month at that time. And so we weren't sure if we wanted to start having babies that quickly. I was young. I was only 22. Um, but you know, the doctor that I was working with at the time said it could take a month, it could take years. So with that in mind, uh, we waited a few months. Um, I got some blood work done, kind of came up with a plan and we started trying for a baby in January, 2013. I was in the grand scheme of infertility. I was very lucky. Um, I got pregnant with my son in November, 2013 and then had him, it was a really easy pregnancy, all things considered, uh, ended up having to have a C-section. Um, but I had him in August of 2014, and he's now seven. So, you know, in the grand scheme of infertility, that wasn't that long. Um, in 2015, we decided to start trying for our second baby, and once again, not knowing how quickly it was going to happen, And at that point in time, I lived in Mississippi, which is a really tiny town in Mississippi. And so to, um, I had started working with a reproductive endocrinologist, uh, which is someone who is kind of like an OBGYN, but specializes specifically in infertility treatment. And because I lived in such a small town, I had to travel to Alabama, the next state over, which was three hours one way. And so um, that was... I was very privileged to be able to do that. I had a very, you know, easygoing job. I was able to monetarily do that. Not everyone has that privilege, but it was hard. And so uh, we started trying what worked in getting pregnant with my son. There were some medications that I took. Um, We did three rounds of that medication. We did three rounds of a different medication, all with just 
timed intercourse, which is as fun as it sounds. (laughs) Sex is great Mm -hmm. until you're like told you have to do it at this time. And you're like, but I really like, yeah, (laughs) sex is great until you're told you have to do it over and over and over again. (laughs) So that didn't work. Um, We ended up doing three rounds of uh, IUI, which is an inner and uterine insemination, which is also called like the turkey baster method. Um, And that did not work. Um, And so at that point in time, my doctor has said, you know, something might, something else might be wrong here. What worked in the past isn't working. Um, Let's do a laparoscopic surgery to see if you also have endometriosis. So I went through that. I don't have endometriosis, but my fallopian tubes are severely damaged. We don't know why. It could have been from my C-section with my son. We don't know. But the chance of us getting pregnant on our own dropped down to like 1%. And so our doctor said, IVF is your best bet. And we just, we couldn't. We ideally only wanted one more child. And so we didn't want to go through the process of making the decisions about what to do if we had leftover embryos, which sometimes you do. Um... We also couldn't justify spending like upwards of $30,000 in the United States. Infertility treatment is not, is rarely covered by insurance. Um, and while we had wonderful insurance through my husband's work, infertility wasn't covered. And so $30,000 is a lot of money for a chance. It's never a guarantee. So... Uh, My doctor said, if you're not wanting to do IVF, we can do three more rounds of IUI with some increased medications. Um, So we did that. My last cycle, I ended up getting pregnant, but having a chemical pregnancy, which is where it's not, I don't think it's technically a miscarriage. It's where you're like barely pregnant and your pregnancy levels just drop too quickly. So We decided we were done. We were going to be happy as a family of three um, and just decide to live our lives. You know, we went through the grieving process and the mourning process of our family not looking the way that we were hoping it would, which is valid. Like, yes, we had our son. We love our son. But we were ideally hoping to give him a sibling. Um, And so I think it's valid to mourn that hope and dream. So, you know, we went through that. And we just started living life. In 2019, March 2019, I unexpectedly became pregnant. Um, To be completely honest, we weren't using any kind of birth control because we would have loved to have another baby. And, you know, that 1% was bigger than no percent. So we were like, if it happens, it happens great. So I became pregnant in March of 2019. And uh, the OB that I had in uh, Mississippi wasn't willing to see me until like 11 or 12 weeks. And because my fallopian tubes are so damaged, I have a very high risk of ectopic pregnancies. So I called my reproductive endocrinologist over in Alabama and I told her what happened. And she said, yeah, come in. I'll take care of you until your OB is willing to see you. So we walk into her office and she goes, how did this happen? Like, I know how it happened, but, like, how did this happen? Because, like, nobody ever thought that it was going to. So, yeah, I had a super easy pregnancy. I mean, all things considered, I was a little sicker. I was 
four years older, so I was more tired and all of that. But all things considered, it was a great pregnancy. Um, at 20 weeks, I went and had my 20-week anatomy scan. We found out we were having a daughter, and everything looked good. Um, the sonographer looked in my cervix. Everything was fine. And we got excited. We felt kind of comfortable and confident, you know, hearing about loss after 20 weeks is rare. And so we started making plans. Uh, the weekend after that appointment, um, we started painting our guest room to become the nursery. You know, we, we had kept my son's crib just in case. And so we set up the crib. We did all of that. I will say that this may be hard for some people to listen to. Um, it was a hard thing to go through. So I just want to put that warning out there in case anybody isn't in a good mental space. But so, you know, that weekend we set up the nursery, all that stuff. On Monday, I started spotting and I had never done that with my son. And so I called my OB and they were like, as long as you're not cramping, it's not, you know, bright red. It's just a little bit, probably pretty normal. Just take it easy. You know, give us a call if it gets worse. Uh, Tuesday, it had gotten a little bit worse and I just like something just didn't feel right. So I called my OB and I said, I know you don't think this is like a big problem right now, but I just, for my peace of mind, I need to be seen. So like I said, we lived in a really tiny town. There was one OB in the entire town and, uh, like one OB practice, I should say. And everyone was booked that day. So they said that if I was willing to, I could drive 40 minutes to, um, their like satellite clinic in another town. And I was like, yeah, sure. Done. Uh, I was very lucky at that time to work for myself so I could take the day off work and go and deal with this. So, you know, dropped my son off at daycare. I drove the 40 minutes and, uh, when I got there, they did a like over the belly ultrasound. My daughter was kicking away. She was fine. She had a heartbeat. Um, you know, my, my fluid levels were good, all of that stuff. And then the sonographer asked to do a transvaginal ultrasound just to see if she could figure out where the bleeding was. And so she started doing that and she stopped and got really quiet. And I was like, "Mm, something's wrong. She said, Mm. don't move. I need to go get a doctor. And when you say that, nothing's good. So she was like, I don't want you to get up. Like, don't move. So I'm just like laying there in this room. I think I waited like 30 minutes because all the doctors had been called out on like emergency deliveries or whatever. You know, I didn't have my phone with me. So I just sat there for 30 minutes with all of the, you know, the horrible scenarios running through my mind. So doctor comes in and I'll call him Dr. T. And he came in, he, he like looks at the ultrasound and everything and he goes, okay, here's the deal. You're four centimeters dilated your bag of waters is bulging through your cervix and we think you have a leak in your bag of waters. Your water has basically broken. Mm. And so I freak out and uh, he goes, I would like to just wheel you kind of like across the street to the hospital here. And I said, I can't do that. We're 40 minutes from where I live. We're an hour from my husband's work. If I'm going to be in the hospital long term, like we we don't live near family. And so I said, like, if I'm going to be in the hospital long term, I need to be closer to home. So he goes, OK, I can send you back to the hotel or the hotel, the hospital <laughs> in your hometown. 
And he's like, I have hospital privileges there and everything. Just go straight to the emergency room. Do not stop at home. I'm going to call them and let you know you're coming. So thankfully, I had a wonderful nurse there who made the call to my husband because I was a sobbing mess. He met me there at the hospital. We walk in and um, Dr. T met us there. And he said, okay, here's the deal. He laid out all of the scenarios, right? Worst case scenario, you lose the pregnancy. Uh, Best case scenario, we can leave, we can keep you in the hospital until 24 weeks when the baby is considered viable. And we can transfer you down like three hours south to the, the big town. And they have a high level NICU there. So we knew that at best, this was going to be a long, a long waiting game. So, um, Dr. T decided to like lie me down on the hospital bed and invert me so that my head was lower than my feet in hopes of moving my bag of waters out of my cervix so that they could then stitch my cervix closed. That was the plan. So I spent the rest of Tuesday, like into Wednesday, uh, like that, just kind of hanging out. We, uh, gave our families a call and just saying like, we don't know what's going to happen, but we may need you to come down and take care of our son because I may be transferred three hours away and we just don't know. Right. And because we live so far from family, we just wanted to give them a heads up. So, uh, Wednesday morning, my regular OB comes in because, you know, shift change and I'll call her Dr. L and Dr. L basically said, the baby's not viable. Uh, insurance won't cover any of this because the baby's not viable. And so she's like, we could keep you here in the hospital until whatever happens, but it's going to be upwards of like a million dollars to keep you here for the next three weeks because insurance isn't going to cover any of this. And because all we're really having you do is just lie down, you can just lie down at home. And that felt weird to me, but... I trusted her. She was my doctor. I thought she was making the right call. Um, And so midday Wednesday, I was sent home with the instructions of lying down as much as possible. Like you can get up to go to the bathroom and take like a quick shower once a week type thing. But, you know, just stay lying down for as long as you can. Come back in if you start feeling contractions or if you're bleeding a lot. So we get home, I kind of settle into bed, I fall asleep around 9 o'clock that night, and at midnight I woke up with excruciating back pain, and I didn't think I was in labor, I, it just, it never crossed my mind, I thought that I just had back pain because I'd been laying down in uncomfortable hospital beds or whatever, so I kind of, you know, toss and turn for a little bit, hoping it'll go away. And finally, I woke up my husband at like 1 a.m. And I said, um, we need to go to the hospital. I don't think I'm in labor, but like I can't lay down anymore. And so I need them to give me pain meds so that I can continue Mm. laying down. That's where my mindset was. So we wake up our son, toss everybody in the car. And where he lived about 20 minutes away from the hospital, my husband's driving as fast as is safe, (laughs) Mm -hmm. probably going a little bit over the speed limit. Uh, And unfortunately, in the car, my water broke and I gave birth in the car. So we get to the hospital. There's this poor young 
looked like maybe he was 18 nurse at the emergency room. His eyes are like caught in a, you know, deer caught in headlights type thing. Because I'm freaking out. My husband's freaking out. We have our son with us who was like four at the time. And he just like didn't know what to do. And so my husband was like, you need to get her a wheelchair and you need to get her up to labor and delivery while I park the car. So that happens. Uh, We get to labor and delivery. Um, They, you know, cut the cord, all of that. My daughter was alive when she was born, but she didn't last more than a couple of minutes because she was only 21 weeks. And it was Dr. L who was um, on call that night or was there that night. And so she tries to deliver the placenta. It's not coming. Um, And I guess within like a certain time frame, if the placenta isn't delivered, there's a worry about infection and stuff like Mm. that. So, and because all of this had happened in the car, I had no pain meds. I had no IV, you know, so she's trying to deliver the placenta while I have nurses on either side of me trying to get an IV in my arms. It was a whole mess. And I will never forget She's in the middle of trying to get my placenta out, like checks her watch and goes, I need to catch a plane for my vacation. I'm going to leave now. Wow. I could just see the nurses like on either side of me just like look at each other and be like, what? And so she just gets up and leaves. And I mean, I'm, they had given me some pain medication that it made me like kind of loopy. Like I was looking at the ceiling and like the ceiling tiles were moving. And so right. I didn't really understand what was going on. Uh, obviously, my husband was freaked out and emotional. Thank- thankfully, we had some amazing nurses who had taken our son. And we're just kind of hanging out for, I thought it was a few minutes. I think it was closer to like an hour when they finally uh, got the on-call doctor to come in, who was Dr. T, the doctor who had admitted me originally. And he was furious. Like, he was super calm with me, but he didn't know I had been discharged. No one had told him. No one had consulted him. He tried again to get the placenta out. It wasn't coming. And so I ended up having to have an emergency DNC um, Mm. to get it taken out. So... That's uh wow. That's how that happened. <laughs> there is I mean, first of all, I it was very hard for me to physically sit still while you were telling that story. I was like, <laughs> "Wow." Did you feel supported by your loved ones? I know you mentioned you live far away. So, yeah. I don't know if you had friends in your life or people in your community, like how did did you feel supported? And if so, how? That was surprisingly hard going through infertility I found a wonderful online community and some of my very best friends are people that I've never met in person we just talk through like the computer or our phones or whatever and so they were phenomenal um I was in a few like infertility support groups and I posted and um I actually had a blog for a few years and I posted on there and one of the things that helped us most was a bunch of women got together and pooled their money and bought us a gift card for this like it was a meal delivery service but it wasn't one where you had to make the food yourself it was already made and you just like pop it in the oven the first like few months I could barely get myself out of bed let alone grocery shop and try and like make meals And so knowing that we had a few weeks worth of food that we could just throw in the oven whenever we felt like it, 
was the biggest help. And it's such a little thing, but it was just like my mind was so consumed with the what ifs and the, I mean, I went through a postpartum period, like my milk came in, I started losing my hair postpartum, like a lot of people do, but also not having the baby to, to help take that, the edge off, you know? Mm -hmm. So not having to think about food was honestly one of the biggest helps ever. Unfortunately, I got more support from my online community than I did from people in real life. I understand it is easier to sit with someone going through grief online than I think it is in person. You you don't see the emotion. You don't feel the hurt. You don't, not as much as if you're like sitting face to face with someone who's like breaking down, right? Mm -hmm. That's uncomfortable to sit with and it's hard. I had some friends at that time who were around the same time in pregnancy with me and I imagine that they maybe felt some guilt and so our families were amazing. They checked in regularly but they also let us have our space and the same with like my online community of friends but friends that we had that lived near us some of them were amazing but some of them just kind of acted like it didn't happen. That hurt because my daughter was a real person And to have friends act like she just never existed really hurt. One of my, try not to get emotional, one of my biggest fears is that when me and my husband and my son are gone, who will remember my daughter? And so the more people that know about her and the more people that remember her makes me feel like she won't be forgotten. To be validated and seen and your experience like have meaning right it's like yes how can we support and you know as I hear you speaking um it's I realize that we are not taught how to grieve we're not taught how to support others in grief one thing that I definitely had to kind of like learn is that that grief can show up whether it's been a pregnancy that lasted like six weeks seven weeks Mm -hmm. or one that was not naturally you know I have never experienced a loss like you have but it's amazing how quickly that bond is formed right like for those of us who have been mothers or been pregnant and seen those lines on that stick your brain goes and like comes up with you see everything boy yep. girl what's their life going to be like what are we going to do <gasps> then you're going through names and like everything it just gives me chills how quickly that happens yep. and as we grieve you know when I'm thinking about how it's so f- interesting that the closest people to you like your friends didn't know what to do just last night I was going to bed and I saw this TikTok of course TikTok right. and this man was saying that he had a daughter um, who was stillborn, and yes, you know, I saw the same t- one. Did you? Does he have yes. long hair? Yep. Weird, mm-hmm. weird. How did I see this video just yesterday? <laughs> but okay, tell me. Okay, so for those listening, the premise is like he's talking about the grief of losing yes. his daughter, and and that he now has other children. It's been many years since the loss of his daughter. He says, but he isn't sad anymore. And I thought, oh, that must not. I wonder how that resonates with people. He remembers her and honors her, but the yes. the grief and the sadness changes well how did that how did that land with you I think he said something about like 
grief makes you feel guilty for being happy or something along those lines. And I remember the first day after I lost my daughter where she wasn't the first thing in my mind. And I cried because I felt so guilty. I felt like if I didn't think about her because she wasn't physically there with me, her memory is all I had. If I didn't think about her, then I was forgetting her or doing a disservice to her in some way. And I still sometimes feel guilty, but I don't think about her as much. I have a life. I have a son. I own a business. But there will be things that make me think of her. Um, I have very curly hair. So does my husband. So does my son. And so if we see a little girl like who is about two years old and has curly hair, I'll just kind of nudge my husband and be like, do you think that's what she'd look like? I think more about what she would have been. I mourn not being able to get to know her. Yes, physically losing her and that pain and the sadness that followed was hard, but I'm angry at having what she could have been, who she could have been taken from me. May I ask, did she, does she have a name? Yes, her name is Brogan. That's a beautiful name. Brogan Marie. It was a name that my husband and I picked out when we were dating, uh, I don't know, like 11 years ago or so mm-hmm. at this time. And when she was born, we talked about like, this has been such a special name for so many years. Do we want to use it on someone that we don't get to use that name forever? I'm mm-hmm. never going to get to scream that name at like a track meet or I'm never going to get to scold that name for making a stupid decision when she's a teenager. (laughs) So do we want to use that name? And we did because it was such a special name and we didn't know if we were ever going to have the chance to have another baby. So, yeah. Oh, (laughs) I am overwhelmed. Hold Hold on. I'm sorry. No, you're not to be sorry. Oh, I'm just, and this is, I mean, this is part of what's hard is like to be strong enough. I don't know if strong is the right word, but to be someone to sit with someone going through this grief and these feelings. And I'll be honest, some of the feelings that I had, especially after losing her were not nice. I was mad. I was jealous. I felt guilt because not only did I go through infertility and not being able to get pregnant, quote unquote, normally, Mm -hmm. but then to not, to be given this chance to conceive, quote unquote, naturally, surprisingly, and then my body screw up so bad that I couldn't hold on to her and keep her safe. I And I still deal with that. I felt mm-hmm. so guilty. And I remember in the delivery room looking up at my husband and just apologizing and saying, I'm so sorry that mm-hmm. I couldn't do this for you. And he's never made me feel like that. No one ever has. But I just... And it's something I still struggle with. It's just this deep-seated guilt of not being enough, not doing enough. 
and I, I don't really like the way this is put, but not being woman enough. What happens from there is the fallout where we can't sit with the feelings that we have right. when it doesn't go according to plan. You know, right. Like you said at the top of the episode, loss in some capacity impacts, I would guarantee every person you know. The reason I was so um, like appreciative of you talking to me today is that, you know, sharing what it can feel like. And yes, I'm sure today is easier than two years ago, but there is, it's layered, the feelings yes. that we have and the support. You know, I think if there's anything I've taken away from this conversation, it's realizing grace for myself, for the experiences I've had, um, but also that you may need support from time to time when you least expect it. It's like so many other parts of our life. Like we just want to be seen and supported. And right. sometimes those moments might be icky. And yes. that's okay. And then you can yeah. have a good cleansing cry. And oh, then yes. go for a nice walk or whatever you need to do. <laughs> but like let that stuff out. If I don't deal with those emotions as they come, they're going to fester and turn into a bigger problem. And I would rather sit in the hard and the uncomfortable for a little bit then have to deal with a lot of it later on down the line. I think you are such, you're honestly an amazing person. Like I feel Thank so you. honored to have heard your story. Um, I'm really appreciative of you. Thank you so much for sharing Thank this today. Thank you for willing to sit through this. I, it's not a, it's not an easy thing to talk about. It's not an easy thing to sit with someone through. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm not sure how to start this part of the show. You may notice that we are missing a voice. I decided to take a moment this week without Dean because this experience, although it involved Dean, it's it's something of my own and I just yes our partners are part of it but I'm still experiencing stuff. In fact, I don't even know how to share the story because I've never shared it before and so I feel really strange because I've always been an open book, but this is a part of my life that I just didn't know how to share. And as I go and explain it, I think it'll make more sense. But it's like, because, all right, let's just, how do I even start? All right. In 2019, I had a miscarriage because of an unexpected, unplanned pregnancy. And it shocked me and rocked me. And I still feel the fallout at times today. And I guess one of the reasons I felt so strange about all of it was I didn't know how to share a story that I wasn't really in control of at any part. So from the start, I wasn't expecting it. I was super shocked, terrified, uh, which, you know, I have two kids. I know how to do this, but it wasn't really part of the plan. And those initial feelings of shock and fear and all of that then changed to that of excitement 
and anticipation and love. And I remember very clearly, and there's even a photo just randomly was taken. We were out for dinner. Of course, this is pre-pandemic. We were out for dinner. And if you've experienced a miscarriage, there's usually a part in your story where you say, oh, you just felt the shift, like you knew something was wrong. And all of a sudden, I felt it. It was like my body stopped being pregnant and I just knew the moment and we were in a restaurant and I was like, oh, it's happening right now. I just sensed it. And my body then demonstrated that it was going through this. And it was, you know, obviously shocking and sad. And there's so much about this. I don't know how to articulate because I'm not an expert in miscarriage. I don't know if I've ever had a miscarriage before. None that I can remember that would have been you know, from a pregnancy test to a miscarriage, there could have been some early on miscarriages. As we know, women likely have had chemical pregnancies that they just didn't even know about. Right. And so I think I miscarried about six to seven weeks, which like before I had this experience, I don't know that I could have comprehended how someone could be so sad so early on. But I think I said this in the episode with Aislinn, and if I didn't, I know I've said it before, but it's like when you see that positive pregnancy test, your mind like flashes in an instant all of these potential memories, all of these potential events that are going to come down the road for you. And your heart latches like instantly, at least for me, that's what happened. Especially I think because I have two children whom I adore and I love being a mom and it was All of it was like so shocking and so rattling. And um, when the miscarriage happened, it's almost like you wish it could just be instant. Like, okay, we're done now. Like, let's just end this. But your body doesn't cooperate like that. You know, you have to then go through the actual physical loss, which was traumatic for me. It was traumatic. So I don't know how to have babies in Canada. So if you know a bit of my story, I had both of my children in Malaysia. And so I had the most amazing uh, OB and he was incredible. And I knew how to do babies there, but I didn't know how to do it here. So I felt very strange. Like, how do I even confirm that I'm fully pregnant? And okay, now I'm having a miscarriage. What do I do now? Like, I don't know. Do I go to the hospital? So I did. And then I sat there for so long. I was like, get me the hell out of here. At one point, a nurse saw me leaving and she goes, wait, wait, wait. And she took my blood right away. And they just wanted to confirm all of these things. And um, I find it draining to even go back to that place mentally. So I got to skip some stuff. But I guess the whole thing is like, I felt, I felt very alone and... Um, I didn't know how to articulate my feelings around the loss. It rattled me. And probably what was even more traumatic is that I was in the middle of a campaign on television. So I showed up on set, uh, you know, for hair and makeup, and I had to be on camera for a holiday campaign, cheerful and chipper. Meanwhile, my body on your third pregnancy tends to go pregnant from zero to pregnant real quick. Uh, so I, I didn't fit any of the clothes, like my pants. So I had to go buy new pants. So here I am, you know, on set 
lines that I've memorized. Uh, there's a co-host and I am heavily bleeding, uh, you know, experiencing a miscarriage and your uterus is contracting and it's, it's horrible. Honestly, it's like the worst period and I already have heavy periods. So that was a like super intense and I'm sitting there like when I stand up, is there going to be like a pool underneath my body? Am I going to have to explain to people what I'm going through? It hurt a lot and not only hurt physically, but emotionally I was like, what is happening? Um, and here I am on set trying to do my job. It was a lot. Um, you know, I would come home and be nearly unable to speak. Like, let me just get into the hot tub and go into the bath. You know, it's not a topic that we're taught how to discuss. And, um, I had a really hard time telling my, my husband how I felt about it. In fact, I feel like even just last night, I finally said to him, so here we are in October and October was the month that I had miscarried. It was the end of October. And, um, I said, you know, I, I feel really weird and I couldn't figure out why, why I felt weird all week. And I, and I'm starting to really pay attention to how my body just does things kind of on an annual basis at this point. And there is something to be said about how our bodies remember traumas. And even when we're not consciously thinking about it, I know that that is the case. And I realized that I think that this time of year just tends to stir up some feelings for me. And it's been two years. And I think about, you know, sometimes what would my life be like with a little toddler running around right now? Um, sometimes it breaks my heart. And then sometimes I, it's like a sigh of relief. And that is such a strange thing. And it's like, how do I articulate that publicly? And be ready for judgment because I just, I could not share the story because I was so fragile about it and I wasn't ready for other people to share their stories with me or for other people to potentially judge me on my feelings um, or even like, how could that happen? I mean, accidents happen all the time, but it's, it's still such a strange experience. And I guess the part that surprised me is how close I became with a few people in my life that I was able to share this story with. You know, there's some people who took me under their wing and, um, you know, helped me with special herbs and things that I could, you know, soothe my body with after this loss and who validated my feelings and who listened to me when I was really confused and sad and who checked in on me when I was hardly showing up online I was just doing the bare minimum to get by um, because I, it's like I just wanted to crawl into a little hole and sit there for a few weeks and maybe come out in the spring. That's how I felt. It was October when it happened. And I was like, can you just call me in April? <laughs> and, you know, you got to get through Christmas and you got to get through all these things. And I did well at masking a lot of the emotions. And, um, you know, then you know, add the part in where I spent the next year thinking that I needed to be pregnant. I needed to have a baby. And I got so confused about whether or not I wanted to have another baby because I almost, it was like a knee jerk reaction. So here a pregnancy, you know, failed. It didn't work. My body was like, this isn't the time. It didn't happen for whatever reason. 
And then I thought, well, let's just do it again so that I can do it properly this time. Like, let's fix this. But that's not now looking back in hindsight, that wasn't the right reaction. You know, I didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't anything intentional. It just wasn't meant to happen. Our body wasn't, you know, wasn't the right setup. And I don't blame myself for anything. I think if anything, I'm glad I took the time to just exist and put my head on a pillow and lay in a bed and cry and weep and feel things and allow my body to feel things. Um, one thing I did, which I don't even know if she remembers, but naturally my children picked up on my low, low energy cause it just didn't go away. It was weeks of me feeling really, really low. And, um, I remember my daughter really confused about what was wrong. And I finally was like, you know what, I'm just going to tell her because maybe if I had had exposure to what pregnancy loss was as a younger person, maybe I would have had better tools to equip me with the grief and how to grieve properly and how to prepare in some way to know that this wasn't anything that I did that was beyond my control. And so I told Esme in very simple terms what had happened, that I had been pregnant and then the pregnancy stopped. My body stopped being pregnant. And she took that information away and she came back to me a few hours later and she had drawn a picture and it was, you know, my, myself, Dean and the kids and the dogs. And then there was, um, a baby in the sky, like a heaven baby. And I'm not particularly religious, but I, you know, children believe what they like and we encourage all sorts of ideas. And I just thought it was so beautiful. And I'm pretty sure I still have that picture somewhere. Um, I always remember, this is so strange and I think I'll end it here because I don't know how to end this story. There's no resolution. I still feel things about it. Um, and I also realize that, you know, in sharing story, there's power in how we can sort of, this happened to me and I know I'm not alone and there's power in that to know that there's others who have been through a similar experience. But I remember many, many years ago when Dean and I had first got married, um, he had gone to Malaysia and I was still in Vancouver and I was, you know, closing up things in our apartment and finishing my job and doing all of this stuff. And I was walking through a health food store and a woman approached me and she asked me if she could read my energy or my palm or I don't remember. And I said, sure. I mean, I wasn't running anywhere. I didn't have any appointments. And so I sat with her and she told me that, um, I had a commitment for three children and my husband had a commitment for two. And I don't know why I've always remembered this. And she said that at some point there will have to be like a compromise or a decision made or something like that. And I often wondered, like, maybe that was my three, you know, um, maybe that was my three. So I don't know. I just hold that with me and it's a part of my story. And if you've experienced something similar, you're not alone. And I hold grace for myself. And I like to think about that time where I just needed to rest and I just needed to be okay with what was happening with me, or I guess not okay. It's like, I look back at that version of myself and I just want to pick her up and give her a hug and let her know that it'll get easier and grief ebbs and flows. And so many times this week alone, I've had conversations or articles or information about grief pop up. And it's just, it's a, it's a learning experience. And 
It can surprise you when it shows up. Thank you for listening to my story. I always end the show with my favorite things. So we're going to switch gears. It's a bit of a heavy episode this week. And we're going to take a collective deep breath in through the nose, out through the mouth. And we're going to move into three things that I've just really enjoyed this week. As always, I love to hear what you guys are up to, some things that you're enjoying. So please share with me on Instagram at Amanda Muse. I love to hear it. But let's begin with something that you can share with the whole family, two to four players to be exact. This is a game called Blockus. It is a board game. It is a strategy board game. And I love it. Like I love playing this game. If you love strategy, you're going to love it. So I looked it up online to see, you know, how is it described? And it is an abstract strategy board game designed by a French mathematician by the name of Bernard Tavitian, uh, Tavision, I don't know, uh, first released in the in 2000, the year 2000. So this game's incredible. Uh, big fan. Everybody that comes to my house, generally speaking, if you're going to play a board game, we're going to start with that one. I love it. My sister was just here for the weekend with her fiance and we played it and we loved it and it was awesome. So 10 out of 10 recommend Blockus. The next thing on my list was required as a result of a weekend with my sister because I feel like all we did was talk. I took all of one photo together, didn't document anything, but I talked and therefore my throat was a little hoarse because literally all I did was speak. Now, there is a tea out there. I'm not really a tea drinker that often, but as the months get a little cooler, I find myself drawing towards the tea cupboard. And this is from the brand Traditional Medicinals, and it is called Throat Coat. Love it. Throat Coat is amazing. If you have a real sore throat, like from a cold or something, or if you have a sore throat from overuse, uh, or you just really like the flavor of licorice uh, there is elm bark and marshmallow root and fennel and cinnamon, and it is just lovely. I can't define the flavor for you because I don't actually like the taste of black licorice, but I love this. It's it's incredible. It makes you throw it all slippery, and I'm here for it. And the last thing is a life hack. Sometimes I change things up in my life. I'm a creature of habit and routine, but occasionally I fall into a new routine, and it surprises me. And so we got to talk about it. Lately, as of like definitely since the start of school, because we're in this, you know, back to school routine, I have been asleep before 11 most nights, which is shocking. Who even am I? If you've been here for any length of time, you may have witnessed the days where Amanda would stay awake till 2 a.m. That doesn't happen anymore. I know it has a huge part you know, to do with the fact that I work regular daytime hours now and I'm not required to work in the evenings. But guys, I don't even know how I functioned in those days. I kind of didn't, I guess, is the whole thing. So basically, how our evenings are tending to roll is that we're usually all together by quarter to eight uh, and by all, usually three of us. Esme doesn't always want to join the group. Totally fine. She is flexing her tween situation and that is acceptable. But we tend to watch a movie. Right now we're doing this like epic Marvel marathon, which I'm obsessed with. And so we watch TV till about nine and then we all move upstairs, brush teeth. Everyone gives the goodnight hugs and kisses and everyone's asleep 
by 9.30, which is okay because we have a later start to school. And then I'm in bed by 9.35. Uh, and then I'm usually asleep by like 10.30 at the latest. What is happening? I'm getting over eight hours of sleep. And I guess my point is, if there's a way for you to make a change in your day where you can get the proper amount of sleep, I would like to recommend that. <laughs> it uh, It's a game changer. I have so much more clarity in the day. Not only that, I find my creativity is hella boosted right now. I just have the capacity to take on a little bit more with a little bit more gumption or something. It's working and honestly, I attribute it to sleep. You know, I'm getting a good workout in the day, which is helping me fall asleep at night. I'm drinking a lot of water. I have no idea if that helps you sleep, but like I know it's good for you, you know? I just find that winding down at the end of the day is really helpful. And if there's a way you can make it happen, I'd recommend it as your friend. And that is it. Those are my three favorites for the week. This is this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to tune in for next week's episode, which is quite the story with a friend of mine who happened to have had a very tragic situation in her life. There was a murder. Her mother was murdered. She'll be joining us next week to discuss the book she wrote about said experience and also her most recent journey through the parole board in the U.S. and how traumatizing that was for her. It is an episode you are not going to want to to miss. So mark your calendars Thursday. I'll be back with a brand new episode. Thank you for being here and I'll catch you next week. Friendo Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Amanda Muse. Music on this episode is written by Chris Bevins and Mike Payne, performed and produced by MP Real Glow. If you'd like to help support the growth of Friendo Podcast, you can do so by leaving a positive review sharing the podcast with your friends and community, and supporting the shop at hellofrendo.com. Find us on Instagram at shophellofrendo. And thank you for listening. And remember, be your own bird. Bird.